I'm expecting you to auto tune me at the end so I can have a like a Rebecca Black Friday uh, level of awesomeness. Brought to you by iLand, this is the Cloud Bytes Podcast, where we've brought together a panel of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has needs in the cloud, but we'll debate the topic at hand and at the very least agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud, and sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about how customers build on top of a cloud platform to account for the reliability, or lack thereof, of a given platform. I am Brian Knutson, cloud technologist for Island, and will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes a passionate group of reliability experts. Let's start by having them each introduce themselves with a current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important about being reliable in the cloud. Hi, my name is Ben Clayton. I'm the director of DevOps for a company called Company Kitchen. Realistically, I just make sure that the developers have everything they need to do their jobs and just worry about coding. So pretty much anything infrastructure related falls under my wheelhouse, and that includes the cloud and uh, everything that comes along with it. Hi, my name is Chris Williams. I'm a cloud architect for GreenPages Technology Solutions. I go to customer sites and gather requirements from them on how to reliably spin up their on-premises workloads up in the cloud. I am also VMware certified and an AWS hero. My name is Cato Grace. I work for VMware in technical marketing. And my focus at VMware and for a bit of my career has been in the availability space. So all things uh, site recovery manager, vSphere application, VMware site recovery for VMware Cloud and AWS. Thank you all for joining me. Customers are oftentimes looking for cloud providers with the best uptime, but that's only part of the story. The type of workload being placed in the cloud and how it was designed for failure can drive different requirements for the choice of cloud platform. Chris, you work with a lot of customers moving to the cloud. Are they only looking for the number of nines or are there other metrics they should be looking for? Oh, absolutely. So um, when you're talking about the number of nines, there are several factors that you need to take into consideration. The nines for the SLA for my customer, who then might have customers of their own, they have an SLA for them, a service level agreement for them. But then there's also the SLA that the cloud provider itself is providing to the person that's actually running the workloads in their cloud. So depending upon your stance in the cloud, if you're the provider, if you're the customer or the customer's customer, your SLA mileage can vary. And the predominant thing that most of my customers care about is the number of nines of uptime from their cloud provider as it reflects their ability to support their own customers. That being said, the actual number of nines is I'm not going to say it's irrelevant, but it's not as nearly as important as the actual architecture of their environment. So designing for failure. Uh, Werner Vogels famously said that everything fails all the time in the cloud, but I would also argue that that happens on-premises as well. And what we try to do, instead of adhering to a strict definition of, oh, well, this S3 has 11 nines of uptime. Well, that's great, but what if the thing that is in front of it is you know, a single point of failure and it falls over? Then it doesn't matter how many nines you have. If you design your architecture with the resilience in mind of any one thing in my environment could fall over, so I need to build an HA, high availability, or some form of quick DR mechanism to fail over, that's more of what they're concerned with than just a, a strict definition or interpretation of the number of nines. 
I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I think the biggest trick with the cloud is, you know, not taking it as just a solution for everything. And, you know, once you put it in the cloud, everything magically fixes itself. I think a lot of people just, you know, they hear the buzzwords, they hear that, you know, cloud is the future. And so they don't pay enough attention to, you know, what they're putting in the cloud, how they're architecting it and what their responsibility is, you know, for making sure that it's a useful tool. Yeah, I see that as well. And I find it interesting too, when people go kind of the other way and think that, you know, seeing the cloud is something scary or drastically different from what they're doing on-prem. Yeah. So it's not just a matter of lift and shift everything over and all of a sudden it becomes magically more available. It's not so much a matter of, hey, it's just a much bigger cluster with a much more availability because I can fail over multiple times if multiple failures were to happen. It sounds like there's there's more to it. I mean, just like when you're architecting something on premises, you've got to account for, you know, if we've got a three-tiered architecture, if you have a single database on the back end, it doesn't matter how many web front ends you have from an availability perspective, right? Exactly. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that topic? Several thousand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've asked the quintessential question of, you know, what should you be measuring in the cloud? And that's such a broad stroke yeah. type of question. There's several ways that you can attack that. You can look at the stability of the services themselves in the cloud. You can measure services against each other based upon the customer's application needs. One of the biggest thorns on my side right now is Elastic Beanstalk. For those of you that don't know, Elastic Beanstalk was AWS's attempt to let developers create their own highly scalable, highly elastic environments that spool up and spool down without really having a good knowledge of infrastructure. And invariably, that turns into a giant headache when the first infrastructure guy comes in and says, oh, well, have you thought about this? Because it's a black box. You throw your code into the black box, and then it tries to support it as well as possible, trying to be elastic and scalable without a lot of knobs and dials to turn to make it do what you want to do. So invariably, what in those kinds of situations, what we'll do is we'll re-architect it in either you know a spot instance or, or we'll leverage the other services, the EC2 instances, the RDS backend, application load balancers, and untangle the EBS because we can scale up and scale down with more facility in other mechanisms. So I guess long story short, it all depends upon how you want your architecture to look and how your customers need to be provided to. You know, is it a low TTL that you need? Is it, do you need to have, you know, edge locations so that everybody globally can get to it? Or are you perfectly fine just having one web server in the middle of Ohio to just service the contiguous United States? So that question is so broad spectrum. I want to put an asterisk after at the end of every sentence I say. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I mean, ultimately it comes down to understand what the most downstream customers need from an availability perspective. Exactly. Um, whether that be your direct customers or their customers or their customers' customers, depending on where you are in that stack, it could drive what you need to do. Customerception. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's all about the customers. What? <laughs> <laughs> Cato, can you explain the differences between how reliability can be created at the application level and the VM level and how customers should approach each within their architectures? Yeah, sure. So thinking about availability at the application level, the examples that I usually provide for that are things like Active Directory or uh, SQL clustering, you know, those kind of application level availability where you don't have to think so much about the VM itself, you're just dealing with it at the application level. You know, VM level availability is more, you know, just dealing with the running of that individual VM. So that's 
all of the vSphere goodness, things like HA and FT and where SRM fits in and vSphere application, all of that, where you're dealing with those individual chunks of you know an actual running VM. And from a reliability standpoint, the thing to think about there is application level availability is usually faster than VM level availability. You know, if you're not having to deal with booting up a VM or otherwise recovering it, you're going to end up with a quicker recovery time, a faster way of a more available application. The downside, though, is when it comes to testing your DR plan or testing your recovery, it can make it a bit more challenging from that standpoint, because if you were from the application level, when you try to test something like that, it usually involves actually bringing that thing down and you know causing yourself some kind of an outage. And that can just be a bit more complicated than if you're dealing with it at the VM level, you can do something like a lot of DR tools will do where they'll make a snapshot or a copy of the VM and then bring that up in that test environment and test it that way. So a couple of different things that you can weigh there, but I wouldn't say that one is necessary as with most things, you know, standard consultant answer. There's, you know, it depends, (laughs) but you know, it, it depends, you know, just look at what your needs are, what your requirements are and kind of build up from there. Yeah, definitely. Of course, it depends and different applications offer different levels there, which is important to consider, first of all, what's available within the application. And I like the comment on the fact that, you know, they can sometimes make it more complicated just because, you know, if everything is just VM restoration, then that's pretty standard stuff. But once you start introducing, okay, recover this VM, but also recover this application, and you have to have both go, then you have to have some level of orchestration that hits both at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Is that a fairly common use case or product availability to help with that? I mean, I definitely run into on a regular basis customers that are combining the two of those that have you know some level of VM level availability and some level of application availability. I am surprised that I don't see more. The one that I see most frequently is like Active Directory or, you know, the other example I gave of, you know, SQL clustering, SQL always on or exchange, same idea. But I am surprised I haven't seen more in the application availability space. We run into, I've talked with some customers who have gone down that road, but, you know, by and large, you know, most people are still thinking about it at the VM level and Like you said, that does make it a little bit easier, or I should say less complicated. Yeah, well, theoretically, less complicated makes it easier, but that's not always the case. When we start looking at more cloud-based platforms, sometimes the reliability of an individual VM can be different than what we're used to in an on-premises VMware-type environment. How does that factor into these equations in that regard. You hit, you hit on a really good point there. The concept of everything fails all the time up in the cloud does predicate different architectures. The methodology used at this point in the game is, you know, we make the assumption that, okay, so picture in your mind the application triple stack. You've got your web server, your application server, and your database on the back end. Now add a second row of that in an auto-scale group so that your web servers can scale up and scale down, and you've always got two running. Same for your application layer. And then on the back end, you've got a database with a read-only copy in the different availability zone. Those two stacks are now designed so that anything from any of those two environments can fail over. The web servers on the front end are connected to the application servers of both sites. And then 
both of the application stacks are connected to one of the RDS servers in one availability zone, but that one also has its failover. And those utilize you know, DNS to point to them so that in the event of a health check fail, then DNS will auto reroute everything to an appropriate live health responsive system. So I'm not gonna say that the resiliency of the VM becomes negligible, but it's certainly not as important from, again, going back to the nines of uptime, it's not as important either because if a box does go bad, then it gets torn down. It gets rebuilt based on the golden image that it was based off of, updated, and then introduced back into the equation. So that architecture is a paradigm shift away from the way that we designed on-premises data centers and in my own field of expertise, VMware, where we relied on one VM being able to vMotion from one host to another host, using SRM and vSERP replication to replicate it across the wire and then be available after some re-IPing. This paradigm kind of gives you an in-situ HA paradigm. Yeah, and and that depends on the cloud. I mean, we exactly do have other clouds that are VMware-based. I mean, that's what iLand's based on is VMware. So we do provide more of that, hey, we'll restart this virtual machine if it happens to be on a host that dies as opposed to hyperscalers that are, you know, you've you've got to deal with that application layer or have some automated way that you build yourself in order to restart that virtual machine. Exactly. Two different architectures. Yeah. So the choice of cloud matters a lot and at that level too. I think the future of availability is definitely more at the application level. But as with most things, it's going to take a long time to get there. And who knows if we ever get all the way there. I mean, you know, like how long are mainframes going to be around? So Forever. <laughs> At least until yeah. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that, that ties right back into customer first. I mean, the whole point of all this IT infrastructure is to provide access to data to the customer. And we provide access to the data through applications. And so it's ultimately the availability of the application that matters. Everything else underneath is details and how that application stays up and available to the customers is up to people like us to figure out what the best platform is based on how an application is architected. Agree? Disagree? I would definitely agree. I mean, I think that's the big thing that, that you know we hit on here today is, I mean, if you design a poorly written app or you architect it the wrong way, it doesn't really matter you know how reliable your infrastructure is on the back end. It's you know it's only as good as the architecture behind it and. I think too many people just you know hear cloud and they just assume that they can just put whatever up there and it'll be fine. They don't do the work beforehand, you know, to really architect it the proper way. Right. Definitely. So Ben, there are cloud providers who claim to have a hundred percent SLA, but what does this really mean and, and should customers trust those providers? Yeah, I mean for me, if I hear that, I just means that they haven't had their big outage yet, which is you know bound to come <laughs> sooner or later. I would definitely be leery of anyone that claims 100% uptime. Um, you know, sooner or later, something's going to fail. So yeah, I, I would let everybody know that don't tr- <laughs> don't necessarily trust that, but de- definitely uh, take a second look and you know get some more facts and and numbers before you make a decision on something like that. Yeah, and that's you know most cloud providers these days are fairly public about their availability when there were outages and such. So that data should be available to customers to look at. And I know, you know, a little bit of peek behind the curtain as a service provider, we've seen our competitors have their issues with availability. And we remind the team, hey, don't use this as a tool against them because sooner or later, they'll be able to use it as a tool against us. 
And it's important not to tear people down because the inevitable happened. Yeah, I think the idea that anybody would say they're never going to have downtime is just that's begging for trouble. I mean, every time in history that someone (laughs) has said that, what inevitably happens? A ship will never sink. Yeah, we could probably spend 20 minutes just coming up with examples of that very thing. I know with Island, we actually do provide 100% SLA, and, and we don't claim that to mean that our platform will never go down. What it means to us is that we've built it in a way that we feel like there's nothing more we could do to make it available. And at the time of this recording, we are recovering from a not huge, but significant to some customers, you know, it impacted some customers highly slowness. It wasn't a complete outage. It was a slowness situation, but we were breaking SLAs is what it came down to. And the result ends up being that we're not claiming that it never goes down. What we're claiming is that we've done everything we can to prevent it from going down, from prevent it from you losing availability and in the details. And, you know, those of us, like the four of us tend not to read those, but our lawyers do. It essentially says, Hey, if there's downtime, you'll get credits. You know, there's a financial implication on us. And I know others have 100% SLAs out there. I'm curious what you all have seen out there. Is, is that common? Is that generally what 100% SLA means? Or are there actually providers out there claiming that they'll never go down? For me, I've, I've just been focused on the you know some of the bigger clouds. And you know each of the major ones has had some kind of major outage. So I, it's never really come up that I've needed to challenge the 100% uptime claim because you know, no one that I use has made that claim. I'm actually curious. Um, you said there are cloud providers who claim to have 100% SLA. The only one that I'm aware of is a service offering from Amazon for Route 53. They say that that is 100% uptime, but I, I don't know of a cloud provider that claims to have 100% SLA like in total. Can we say the name of who that is or is that naming and shaming? I can name other competitors. I'm not going to name them, but if you want to, I'm not against that. I was trying to parse what 100% SLA meant. Was it like for the entire cloud offering or was it for a particular service or? Oh, no, I like that approach. Definitely go down that route that clouds are not monolithic. They're built of pieces of of different infrastructures. Right. Um, So yeah, I would definitely be interested in that thought process. Well, like you said, each one is built up of pieces and each one is less stable than the one before it. So there's no conscionable way that somebody could claim. I would immediately put a claim like that to task in in terms of like, you know, service availability uptime. As an experienced um, IT person in general, we all know that there is no such thing as 100% uptime. It's just baking your architecture in such a way that you can handle whatever falling over. My favorite example of that is Netflix and Chaos Monkey. Mm-hmm. Well, now the Simeon Army, where they've created these programs that go into their environment and just randomly drop everything. Like, you know, they'll take out an instance, they'll take out a load balancer, they'll take out an entire I don't know if they take out entire regions or not, but but they have things that, you know, overload stuff with API calls. It's fascinating. If you look into the Simeon army, you'll see that there's an entire army of monkeys now that each one does a horrible thing to your environment in a new and interesting way, tries to break it. And that is how they manage to figure out, you know, all the cracks in their armor and help to build a closer to 100% availability, but but never 100%. Yeah, I think that's a, a fantastic way of doing that. One of the things that I harp on when I talk with customers about disaster recovery is just the importance of testing your disaster recovery plan. Like it's there's no point in having a DR plan 
that you never test. And so that idea, what Netflix does with the, yeah, I love that Simeon army. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love using that as an example as well. Yeah, I think the whole chaos monkey thing just kind of goes back to the point that, uh, you know, it's all about design and, you know, how you're going to use the cloud and that, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, the cloud's just a toolbox to get you to the solution. It's not really the solution itself. And I think too many people think that it's just the answer for everything. Back when VMware used to be the answer to everything. Wait, it it still is. Yeah. So as we've talked through here, there's been a lot of really interesting things I think customers need to take to heart. Ultimately, it's all about customers and focusing on SLAs all the way downstream, whether it be your customer or your customer's customer or your customer's customer's customer. Ultimately, it goes down to somebody needing that data. And in order to get to that data, someone in that chain needs to get to that application and having that available and knowing what that critical availability is key because the actual architecture is more important than the number of nines because you can have, you know, the more complex an architecture is, the more points of failure there are. So you need to make sure that every one of those levels is reliable, you know, whether that be because of the infrastructure or because of the application piece of it, because cloud is not a magical availability solution. There are many ways to manage and measure that availability when figuring that out and how to provide that availability you need to consider every level of it. So whether it be the availability of a virtual machine or the availability of the application, the amount of availability and the complexity that adding another availability solution in there all needs to be considered because the entire process, particularly when you look at VR, could make it more complex, which could make it more challenging to truly test it. And there is no such thing as 100% uptime on any infrastructure. And if you think it'll never go down, then you're bound to fall into that pit sooner or later. And in fact, large customers like Netflix do regularly test to make sure that any given outage could be accounted for. You know, the level of outage could be anywhere from essentially killing off an entire geography all the way down to potentially changing a piece of data that could hose up an application. I've seen that happen at every level of the stack. And ultimately, the cloud is not the answer to everything. It's just a tool to be used. You need to understand what the capabilities of that tool are and how it can work to your best advantage. With that, let's finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you to Chris, Cato, and Ben for a great conversation. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, the panel's contact information, further information about this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. And if you found this content useful, we'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. I forgot to mention this in the podcast, but I am uh, thoroughly appreciative of the fact that everybody said on-premises.